seriously. And uh, I thought, well, okay, why don't we talk about living dangerously today? Oh, that's scary. So you want to live dangerous, you don't have to do mountain climbing and um, kayaking and surfboard riding and all those dangerous things because there are other ways of living dangerously. (laughs) One way is to speak the truth. Oh, no, I get (laughs) (laughs) After my week. (laughs) I I love this. Do you see that that graffiti? Speak the truth even if your voice shakes. (laughs) Even when you're scared. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Jesus actually talked about the idea of the truth um, setting us free. And uh, that's in John 8.32. I thought it might be worth just talking a little bit about the context of that statement. Jesus is having a discussion with the Pharisees and Sadducees uh, in the, in the um, not the temple, in the, what do you call it? In the synagogue, because he often, he often did. He preached in the synagogue pretty regularly. And um, he got into conversation with them and he was actually talking about who he was. Now, that was anathema to most of the Jews, of course. Um, they thought he was blaspheming. But um, at that particular time, as a result of what he had to say, and he'd been healing people and so on as well, so there were signs and wonders uh, attending his ministry, a whole bunch of Jews believed in him. So um, I'm just going to read John 8, 31 to 42. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you'll be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word is no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. So they're having a theological discussion. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. So this freedom that we have is tied up with the truth that Jesus brought to the earth and this truth essentially is that Jesus was the son of God and he was crucified on the third day he rose again the resurrection is the central pin if you like of the Christian faith that's the sense in which we are free now the world finds it pretty hard to accept that And that's why 
when we preach the truth, we are living dangerously. Now also Jesus had a habit, and it wasn't only Jesus, John the Baptist did a bit of this as well. He had a habit of telling it like it is. In Matthew 12, 34 and 23, 33, Jesus uses this expression, you brood of vipers. And he's, he's saying that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these were the, the sort of the legal experts, the religious leaders of their time, very devout. He's saying they were a brood of vipers or children of vipers. Uh, John the Baptist used it also to describe the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Matthew 3.7 and also in Luke 3.7. Uh, it was when the Pharisees and Sadducees came down and they were either wanting to participate in or at least watch the baptisms that John was, was performing. He called them a brood of vipers. Now, this was a great insult, by the way, because... In antiquity, a lot of people thought that vipers had live offspring inside them and they ate their way out of their mother and in the process, she died. Okay, so it was a way of saying to people, you are parent killers, that is, you engage in patricide or matricide. A, a big insult to Jewish people. So this insult was nevertheless the truth that Jesus spoke to the religious leaders of his day. And I wonder sometimes whether we're not called also to speak the truth, to call things as they are. Now don't do it, mind you, unless you're absolutely certain that the Holy Spirit is urging you to do it. Remember, Jesus did as his Father told him not as he thought best at any particular time. There's another instance which I think is also pretty important, recorded in Matthew 21, verse 13, Mark 11, 17, and Luke 19, 46. Remember, this is when Jesus made a weapon and he drove the money changers out of the, the temple. And he, he said, Don't you know my house shall be called a house of prayer, yet you have made it a den of thieves. We don't have time to go into the reasons why he called it a den of thieves, but essentially what was happening was that people, when they came to pay the temple tax, they had to actually pay it in a particular um, coinage and they'd have to swap whatever money they had for the coinage that was acceptable as the temple tax and they got ripped off. The money changes ripped them off. If you also came, you bought, you bought doves and so on to sacrifice and the people were being ripped off all the time. These, instead of fair exchange, the, the money lenders and the people selling the doves and other animals for sacrifice, they were profiteering. And there's another reason too. Yes. Where they met and did business was actually supposed to be where the, you know, it was the court of the Gentiles. Where, that's, that's where we would have been able to go to pray to see God. So there are a number of commentators who say that. Because we weren't Jews. That that business was preventing the Gentiles from having access mm. to, to the temple. But it was meant to be a house of prayer. 
And I wonder sometimes, and again, look, Jesus was actually speaking. He wasn't speaking to the Romans, like the wicked overlord. He was talking to us. He was talking to the church. And and I just think, you know, as a pastor, I have to think, is this a house of prayer? Right? Or am I just trying... You know, to have a platform because I like speaking or to get rich because I preach on tithing. Probably take a while to get rich with our church, but it's a reasonable question to ask of any church. Is the house a house of prayer? And, and in one of, the, one of the versions, or one of those books, it says, for the nations. A house of prayer for the nations. So when, when, when you think of Ignite Life Church, what do you think of? You know, what's the first thought that comes into your mind? If it's not really a thought about the um, relationship we have with the Lord through, through prayer and through worship, through the Word and through our community time, then there's something wrong. If, if, if we try to develop a church which makes me into some kind of media media. I'm hero. That happens. It's happened at times. If we, 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 if we kind of develop a kind of cultish um, atmosphere, well, that's when someone needs to speak the truth. And, and, and look, honestly, oftentimes the, the greatest enemies we have are other Christians. That's a bit of a side issue. But look, Jesus told it like it was. Now the thing is this, if the truth is going to set us free, let's say Jesus said, you brood of vipers. What might have happened if the Sadducees and Pharisees said, yes, yes, we are. God forgive us. And show us how to live according to your word and your character. What would have happened? A lot would have changed. And they themselves would have been set free because they would no longer have been slaves to sin. What might have happened in the temple if the money changers and the others doing business there had said, he's right. We have made this a den of thieves. Let's focus on making the temple, a house of prayer. What would have happened? Lives would have been changed. The exploitation would have ceased. So you see, the truth sets us free. Sometimes the truth can hurt a lot. Mm -hmm. But if we are prepared to consider it, and then change under the grace of God, then peace can come. We do, of course, have to be responsible about how we speak the truth. And remember, Jesus said, I only do what the Father says I am to do. So we need to listen carefully to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I've got to do the next slide. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> here's the next. Here's another one. She's not there. Here's another one. We've had a few people. Take up your cross. That that photo there. It's a little. It's a little bit indistinct. It's perhaps a bit small. That's Arthur Blessed. Has anyone? Has anyone heard of Arthur Blessed? He's the guy who has spent virtually his whole adult life. He's 81 years of age now. Spent his whole adult life carrying a cross around the nations. He's got the Guinness Book of Records for the longest walk in history. And he's been doing it. He's now gone into, I think it's 224 different countries. That photo is very recent. That's this month, Bourbon Street. I just can't remember what city in America that is now. But there he is. He's got a cross. It's a bit hard to see, but he's carrying the cross. He's been doing it for virtually the entirety of his adult life. Now, I don't think Jesus meant we are to physically take up a cross like that. Now, he's done this as a witness. And he's been able to, you know, be a witness to Jesus Christ all over the world over that period of time. But this is a few things about taking up the cross. Well, let me first give you the the scriptures. There were two two occasions recorded in the scriptures where Jesus used this expression. Matthew 16, 24. Then he said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What was that, Matthew? Matthew 16, 24. And in Mark 10, 21, this is when he's responding to the rich young ruler. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. So these are the two instances where we see this expression recorded. Now the first one, Matthew 16, 24, uh, Jesus here is referring in a sense to his own um, crucifixion. Those condemned, of course, under Roman law to, to crucifixion would often have to carry the horizontal beam of their cross out to the site of their execution through a crowd that was often hostile and, and mocking. Unfortunately, Jesus' disciples failed in carrying their cross literally because they deserted him. So that a bystander had to be drafted to carry the cross when Jesus was too weak himself to carry it. Now, I don't think it means that we uh, pick up the cross and kind of expect a whole lot of bad stuff to happen to us, but it might. In the context of the rich young ruler, culturally, occasionally, a teacher, a rabbi, would make demands on people to kind of sift through those who were really serious about following the teacher. Okay? So this is, uh, sometimes people take this as a kind of blanket instruction to all Christians. Let me assure you, the world can't work like that. If, if, if everybody sells up everything and gives it away, actually, before very long, there'll be nothing to give away. So it's impossible for everybody to do this. But the cultural context was such that the teachers, the rabbis, 
they, they needed to test people to make sure they were serious about following them. And sometimes they would say to someone, if they weren't certain, that get them to do something quite outrageous. Go and sell all your wealth, give it all to the poor, and then come and follow me. Because this rich young ruler, of course, didn't make the cut. He went away sorrowful, we're told. So bearing the cross is really, this is my, my interpretation, is living your life outwardly as a Christian. In other words, let people see that you're a Christian. That's, that's the cross. That's the cross we're to carry. Now when you do that, you might be harassed because of what you believe and even because of what you do. You might even be ridiculed. People might say, oh, you couldn't possibly believe in all those fairy tales, for example. You might be persecuted. People might, might hate you. You might be excluded from fully participating in society just because you're a Christian. I was going to say that, you know, it can be hard to believe in the things of the Bible if you are not a Christian, I'm guessing you haven't work through those things but when you see people's lives and then making particular decisions you can or, or you see the peace or their ability to do things you know it actually ministers to others it and can. they go something's taking care it of it can me. but it probably won't do a lot in North Korea no no not in North <laughs> Korea but you know what I mean it's like um, it can sometimes I absolutely no doubt about that but don't believe that that is always going it won't, to, it won't always be like that. So Jesus said, in this life you shall have tribulation. So being a follower of Jesus is actually not a guarantee that everything is going to be hunky-dory. No, it's true. Because you might even be killed because you're carrying your cross, because you are living your life as a Christian. Now there are many countries in the world today, including Australia, uh, Canada, now New Zealand as well, where you could end up in jail merely for speaking the truth from the Bible. Now we might think, nah, couldn't possibly happen. But there, there is law on the books of Victoria, in Canada now, in New Zealand. Uh, people have been jailed in the UK for simply standing on a street corner with a billboard expressing the truth of the, will, of, of the Word of God. There's a Finnish Member of Parliament who's been charged with an ethnic offence because she published a tweet, a tweet on her Twitter account supporting the biblical understanding of human sexuality. And she refused to retract it. And she is or was the leader of the Christian Democratic Party in Finland and says so now she's got to go to court to answer for speaking the truth. So now the kind of legislation that exists in Victoria doesn't exist here in Queensland at the moment. There's similar legislation but it doesn't prevent some, uh, say a preacher speaking the truth. Now in Victoria it could under certain circumstances and you could go to jail for up to 10 years and be fined as much as half a million dollars. So, 
We are living in dangerous times for Christians, even in a country like Australia or like Canada or like New Zealand. We need to understand that when we take up the cross, everyone will notice. All right? And some people might treat us in a negative way when they notice. That's living dangerously. Right? Here's a third way. What about giving your life? Giving your life. Jesus said this in John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. The verse before that in verse 12, uh, Jesus says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. It's a verse we know well. I've got two photos there. I I have no idea whether either either of these people are Christian. The one at the top, that's a Gold Coast doctor, uh, Lugman Joubert, 35, who was a specialist in in, um, cancer research. He's done some really outstanding work, actually, uh, related to a cure for cancer, a particular technique. And I believe he was the first person ever to publish a scientific paper in the area. He was just 35 years of age. Last week, he was swept out to sea after trying to save a swimmer who was in difficulty in the surf at Miami Beach. That was just a week ago, the 17th of February. He died trying to save someone else's life. More recently, the picture at the bottom is a photograph of SES volunteer Meryl Dray, who was killed when the car she was in with three other volunteers was swept off a road en route to a rescue. That's just on Friday. See, we, we see stories like this all the time. Ordinary people who take extraordinary risks for the benefit of others, sometimes at the cost of their own life. And yet this is almost meant to be a lifestyle for us. Now this doesn't mean where to seek opportunities, but the, the principle here is we don't live for ourselves. We live, yes, for Jesus, but the outworking of living for Jesus is we actually live for the benefit of others. And sometimes that literally means we live dangerously because sometimes we will have to take on extraordinary risk in order to minister to others or to rescue them. I don't know what I would do. I, I don't know what I would do if I saw someone washed off the rocks at a fishing spot. Would I dive in the surf? I'm not a real strong swimmer. I don't know. I don't know. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You see, Jesus at one point, he said to his disciples, I call you friends 
and he gave up his life for them as well as for us and if we're followers of Jesus then we may have to one day be prepared to take such a big risk that it could literally cost us our lives that's living dangerously getting a bit serious aren't we here's another one let compassion motivate you and remember Jesus feeding the 5,000 that um, that uh, it's a painting is actually in reference to Mark 6 verses 30 to 36 I'll read this then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things both what they had done and what they had taught so he sent them out they, they had basically been out evangelising and he said to them come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest for a while for there were many coming and going and they did not even have time to eat so they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves so Jesus is saying it you blokes have been working pretty hard you need a rest and no doubt so did he but the multitude saw them departing and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities they arrived before them and came together to him and Jesus when he came out saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd so he began to teach them many things when the day was now fast spent his disciples came to him and said this is the deserted place and already the hour is late send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat and then we go on and we see the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Matthew 9, 35 to 38. I've used Matthew 9, 36 in the slide. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. He said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. See, we need rest. We, we can't be on the go all the time. And the incident in Mark chapter 6, you know, the, the disciples, they'd been out evangelising and casting out demons and healing people. They were whacked. So Jesus, let's go and rest. Let, let's go off to somewhere which is quite deserted. But then he saw there were people who needed ministry. And he was moved with compassion. And basically, Jesus and the disciples, they gave up that period of rest to minister to the people. Now, this is not saying we should never rest but what it is saying is that sometimes although we might need rest compassion compels us not to and to minister to people that's living dangerously giving up me time for the benefit of others just two more to go the next one is love the unloved. 
Now this can be a pretty tough one because there are a lot of people in the world who are unloved. Now I want to, I want to, I guess, have a slight twist on this idea because often when, when we think about those who are unloved or unlovely, we think maybe of drug addicts or gang members, you know, real bad sinners, murderers, those kinds of people. Pardon? Husbands as well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, listen, it's okay to want to murder your husband, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. okay. God can handle that. Just don't divorce him. <laughs> Every wife wants to That's murder her husband at some point. Oh, <laughs> you just have to repent. <laughs> you just have to repent. Anyway, um, but a, a slight twist on this. You remember Jesus was accused of hanging around with sinners, yeah. right? So they, these are the unloved. In that society, they certainly were. Right? The Jews hated the tax collectors because they were seen to be. Um, putting a lot of pressure on, on the Jews to pay tax to the Romans. So they acted on behalf of the Romans, but often the tax collector would add a percentage on top of that for their, their own benefit, right? So up there on the screen we've got, now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in Matthew's house, that behold many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and with his disciples. I'll read out the context there, Matthew 9, verses 10 to 13. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that's Matthew's house, that behold many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Now that's a quote from one of the Psalms. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Uh, in Luke 7, 31 to 34, this is what we read. And the Lord said, To what then shall I liken the men of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist came, neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking and you say, look, a glutton and a wine bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So they're very critical of him because he ministered to people who were not righteous. They were the unloved in that time. But he ministered to them. We need to minister to the sinners, those who are seen by our societies as being on the fringes, they're outcasts. They're not accepted in polite society. Again, we need to know what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do. And I don't want to put a guilt trip on people. And we can't do all of these elements of living dangerously every day of our lives. That's impossible. Right? So you don't walk out of here feeling, you know, I've got to do all these things because that's not what our faith is all about. 
as I say so often, it's not a huff and puff religion. So this is not saying you've got to go out now and live dangerously in all of these areas of your life. Just expect that sooner or later, the Holy Spirit is going to move you to live dangerously. So Jesus was accused of looking for and um, socialising with sinners. Now, I don't really think Jesus kind of woke up every morning and said, oh, I want to go find some sinners today. I think really what happened was he just dealt with everybody he happened to run into. Wherever he was going. Now, um, Zacchaeus, the tax collector, that might be a little bit different. Remember, he was short, so he climbed a tree to hear what Jesus was teaching. And Jesus noticed him. Now, some people say that you know, Jesus was, was kind of seeking him. I, I just think he's a short, fat tax collector. Yeah, he climbed a tree so he can hear Jesus. <laughs> Jesus saw him. Yeah. And because Jesus was Jesus, he knew the guy's heart. And that, remember when he said, I'm coming to your house to eat with you. Now, look, man, the Pharisees, they wouldn't have liked that. No. Because he was a tax collector. Not only that, he was a crooked tax collector, Zacchaeus. Remember, because he said he was going to repay all that he'd stolen from everybody? He did. Eh? No, so, he didn't. I don't know whether he did he or not. He did. No, but, he said but, uh, he repented. Um, but... I mean, that's not really the point of the story anyway. The point of the story is this. Jesus noticed him and Jesus loved him. Because Jesus, to to come into someone's house, back in those days, hospitality was a major, major gift. And he said, I'm coming to your house. And then remember, it it says, he went to Matthew's, uh, sorry, when he was in Matthew's house, there were tax collectors and sinners, plural who were there so you know Jesus whenever, wherever Jesus was he just ministered to people and I think we've got to do that as well because in doing so we are going to touch the unloved we're going to love the unloved we're going to bring them the truth and the truth will set them free the last element of living dangerously is to have the courage to forgive I mean, this is, we just read the story of Easter so often, don't we? We might even watch a movie and it might, you know, move our emotions. But but meditate on this. Jesus has been whipped, flogged, literally to within an inch of his life. The Bible says he wasn't even recognisable as human after that flogging. He didn't have the strength to carry his cross, remember? And he looks at his tormentors. And you know what? He puts into practice what he preached. Forgiveness. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And I tell you what. It's really easy to forgive the trivial stuff. I tell you though. It's not so easy to give stuff to forgive stuff that isn't trivial. Mm -hmm. When you have been wronged seriously, 
And you know, there are plenty of us who have. That's when it's hard to forgive. Mm -hmm. Think of Jesus. He practiced what he preached. How could a person, having been tortured, tormented, ridiculed, how could he look with such compassion upon his tormentors and say, Father, forgive them? Because they're just plain victory. Well. Hmm. You know, the, the power of this in that culture was that a person being executed was supposed to confess his sins but instead Jesus confesses the sin of those who executed him and asks the father to forgive him well you know if you look through some of the Psalms and a couple of other places in the Old Testament you'll see prayers for judgment against our enemies. And yet, Jesus doesn't resort to quoting any of those passages. He just says, Father, forgive them. That is living dangerously. So, being a Christian can be a bit dangerous. (laughs) Because This is all part of our life. You know, we're we're called to speak the truth. Jesus invited us to take up our cross. Jesus said, no greater love has anyone than this than that he would give up his life for his friends. We're to love the unloved, the ones who are really not received into our society. We're to be motivated by compassion. Let our compassion override mm. our tiredness and our lack of resources. And have the courage to forgive, especially when you've got something to forgive that's not a trivial thing. Amen. Amen. One of the most precious gifts that we can bestow upon anybody of course is the gift of salvation and 